So Christmas is indeed in full swing. So one of the ways I wanted to get you into the Christmas spirit is I wanted to invite you into a conversation that happens every year in the Hill household. You guys want to see behind the curtain a little bit? Okay. Every year in the Hill household, something like this happens, and it usually happens sometime between Thanksgiving and the first weekend in December, and that is this. There's the annual trek into the garage. Okay, sounds like you guys know this story before I tell it. The annual trek into the garage to find all the Christmas decorations. Has everybody, has anybody, how many people have made that trek this year so far? Okay. All right, so maybe that was this weekend. Nobody over here. Everybody over here, bunch of bah humbug over here. All right, I see you guys. That's fine. That's fine. Um, but here's, this is the conversation that typically happens. So, so we, a few years ago, we transitioned from a live Christmas tree to what they like to call an artificial Christmas tree. Some of you might be saying fake Christmas tree. Can we just settle on faux? Okay, faux. It sounds much more French, right? Okay, but we have, a, we have a fake Christmas tree. So one of the things that that does, that enables us to do, me particularly, is to pull it out of the garage and to set it up and plug it in. And there it is, right? Lights. And like there were people who designed this Christmas tree. They sat down at a table and they said, how many lights should this Christmas tree have on it? And they came to a decision. They said the best amount of lights for this Christmas tree is the amount that we're going to put on it. So that when people plug it in, they can say, that has so many great lights on it. But our conversation is this. We plug it in, and Kelly turns to me and says, do you think the tree needs more lights? <laughs> and of course, my answer is, um, my answer is, I think the tree looks great. <laughs> so we go back into the bins, and we have, we have little white lights. We have little white lights. And so we have some extra lights. I'm like, hey, some extra lights. Let's put them on the tree. So we wrap not one strand, not two, not three, not four, five strands of white lights around. It's like defacing the work of these engineers who put this tree together, right? So we put it all on, and of course, you, you tuck it back in there so that it doesn't, you know, they don't, the, the, you don't see the cords. And then we stand back. And Kelly looks at me, and she looks at the tree, and she says, do you think the tree needs more lights? <laughs> and of course, my answer is, I think the tree looks great, but hey, I, the only, there's only a few times of the year that I'm really afraid, and one of them is Christmas decorating, okay? <laughs> anyway, so I look back in the bins, and we have these pearl lights. There's pearl lights. They're, they're real small. They're pearl size. They're really, they're, they're pretty, right? So we, we take those, and we put one, two, three, I think we have four strands of pearl lights that go around the tree. Okay, and we put all those on, and we take a step back, and we look at the tree. We kind of have to, you know, the, it's a little, okay, but but we but I Kelly looks at me. She looks at the tree, and she says, "Do you think the tree needs more lights?" So I look in the bin, and we have we have these globe lights. So we've gone from little white lights. Well, we went from the lights that are on the tree that's built on the tree to little white lights, to pearl lights. Now we have globe lights, and we have two sizes of globe lights, the medium size and the big size. And so we wrap those around. That's another five strands around the tree. Now by this time, by this time, the International Space Station has located us, <laughs> right? Right? And like Southern California Edison has called for like a flex alert because we've turned all these on. So we put them all on, we put them all on, we put the sunglasses on too, like the blast shield as well. 
And I turn to Kelly, and she looks at me, and she says, do you think the tree needs more light? Okay, anyway, that's, that's a conversation that happens every year. We love it, and it is, it's very fun to put on lights on the Christmas tree. Uh, but, but all that to say is that um, light has always been something that's associated with Christmas. Lights, like, I would imagine that you all know that you're going to find a neighborhood, you might already know a neighborhood where you're going to go and you're going to drive by and you're going to go look at lights, right? You probably have yours down. That's great. Share, share it with friends. Lights are a great thing on Christmas. And that you're going to see, you might be going to the Christmas tree lighting tonight in the circle. There's going to be lots of lights. And when the lights go on, everybody's going to cheer. They're going to read the Christmas story. It's actually a great event. I mean, the city of Orange puts us on and they read about how Jesus is the Savior of the world. Come and support that. It's wonderful. And that this idea that the birth of Jesus, there's good reason why the birth of Jesus has been synonymous with light. And that is this, that every gospel that records the birth of Jesus, Matthew, Luke, as well as the Jesus coming into the world like John, equates it with some kind of emergence of light. And the passage that we had read this morning from Steve, all, and did you notice that Steve's feeling pretty at home? He like wore a Seahawks jersey. You thought that that was a Christmas sweater. No, 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 no. Like, thank you for that, Steve. That's wonderful. I love it. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but when we, when we read that passage, and that passage, it anticipates the birth um, that, that of John the Baptist. This is the prophecy of Zechariah, and he's prophesying over his son, his baby son, and he equates this idea that there is going to be, that John the Baptist is going to prepare the way for a sunrise, for a sunrise on those who dwell in darkness. In the valley of the shadow of death, there will be a sunrise. And we've been in this series on John, which we're taking a little bit of a break from as we go into this Advent season. And, but in the Gospel of John, John has a lot to say about light. We've noticed it when Nicodemus comes, he comes in the darkness. The woman at the well, she comes in the brightness of day. There's something to be said about light and night at the same time. When Judas betrays Jesus, it happens at night. Jesus is going to say, I am the light of the world. And our series in John is to know that John has something to say about Jesus and light. And what I want to do, um, this, as we're in this Advent season, there's two things I want to look at. I want to look at, I want to look at light and life. Light and life. Jesus has come to bring both. Light and life. And this morning, I just want to have some reflections on this idea that God has given us light in a world of darkness. And so we'll be looking through different passages in Scripture but, and, and landing a little bit in the Gospel of John as well as this passage in Luke, but I just want to reflect a little bit. As we live in a world of darkness and as we come into the Christmas season, what does it mean that the coming of Jesus is like a sunrise on those who are dwelling in darkness? You guys with me? Like, I, if there's anything, I, I'm looking for light. I'm looking for light. Like, we live in a dark, dark world. We live in a world that is, that is, it seems pervaded with darkness, where people who would, might say that wrong is right and right is wrong, that darkness might be the preferred thing, that the Gospel of John said, light is coming to the world, but men love darkness. 
And I feel like that's, that's, that, that, that's so descriptive of the world that we live in today. And yet, here we are, we come to worship God, to thank God for sending his son Jesus, to worship Jesus, to recognize the work of Jesus. We're going to have an opportunity to recognize the work of Jesus on the cross this morning as we participate in the Lord's Supper. But as we, we look at this and we think about this Christmas season, I, I am looking for light. I want light. I want light. And so as we just kind of reflect on this, the first place that we can go on this is just back to Genesis chapter 1. I'm just going to read this for us. But the, it's important for us to understand the very first thing that God creates is light. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. This is significant to know because God, God he creates the heavens and the earth, but it's this chaos, it's this chaotic darkness and, and, and whirlwind and gloom and but when God says, let there be light, he looks at the light and he says, that's good. And he separates light from darkness. He separates day from night. In the midst of the nothingness, what the author calls, in Hebrew he calls it tohu and vohu, uh, formless and void. God speaks, and in his speaking he creates illumination. Let there be light. Now, mind you, there is no sun. There is no moon to reflect the sun. There are no stars. Those come later on day four. There is no fire. There's no electricity. There's no incandescent light bulbs. There's no LED light bulbs. But there is light. It's a light that precedes all the light sources that we know today. There is light. God creates light. He himself is light. It's a light that precedes all natural light. Look, listen to what the Gospel of John says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Talking about Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That the word was there in the beginning, Jesus was there in the beginning, and that light, that light is Jesus. He is the light that is coming into the world, and it says this, that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning, there was light. And I think one of the things that we recognize today, and one of the things that scripture will recognize, is that light will not go without challenge by the darkness as god illumines and as god shines light on all things and it's so awesome because in this darkness like the first thing that starts to order things is we shine light on stuff if things are out of control shine light on it and god begins to order it be with the light but we notice that god that the light is not going to go without challenge that there is darkness. And that darkness is indeed hanging on. Even though God might relinquish the darkness, it seems to hang on. And I suppose some might note 
that darkness precedes light in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. But it's important to note that darkness is actually not a thing. Darkness is the absence of light. Darkness is not its own thing. It's simply something that the light has not yet shone on. Darkness is what happens when there is no light or when someone or something blocks the light. And one of the things that we note, even as we look in the early chapters of Genesis where Adam and Eve decide to take matters into their own hand and then they hide from God, they darken themselves. They hide themselves from God's light. And one of the things that we find is that then the whole creation is subject to the futility of of fallenness. And we recognize that there is darkness. And that darkness sometimes, it's the darkness, even if we come in when we're kids, like when you're a kid, what happens when it starts, it's dusk and the lights start to come on, your mom comes out, I don't know if you guys do this anymore, we haven't done this really, but mom would come out and my mom would come out and she'd say, boys, come in. You know, it was like instinctive, like as soon as the darkness comes, everybody comes in the house. Like it's instinctive, you don't have to tell people, like the darkness is a place where you don't want to be in at night where you bring your children and then you turn on all the lights inside. But even as kids, what we realize is that even when we go to bed at night, it it doesn't protect us. Even though we're inside and safe, that the closet is still open and that darkness is, there's something in that darkness. Under my bed, there's something, and it's dark. That Even when I just close my eyes, we recognize that there, even though there's a darkness out there, there's also a darkness within. My own imagination, whatever that is, what, the, the, the monsters, the boogeyman, the witches, whatever they're going to do to you, we don't even know what they're going to do, right? And yet we still have this darkness. We have sometimes a darkness of our own making, a darkness within us. Sometimes it's our own sins. Bible says that all have sinned, that we've all participated in the darkness of this world. Our own darker thoughts. Sometimes the darkness of this world is not necessarily coming from within us. It's maybe coming from outside of us, other people's darkness having, their, having its way on us. We have enemies, rivals, people who might sin against us. That's someone else's darkness coming into my world. Sometimes there is simply a darkness that surrounds us. The Gospel of John calls it the world. The fallen world is in darkness. And we talked, as I was thinking about this, this Christmas season, I was kind of reflecting back on various, uh, the series that we've been doing. We did a series in Ephesians the first half of the year, and we talked about this idea that our world is pervaded by this interlocking directorate of anti-human and anti-God forces. Ephesians 2, 1 says this, maybe you recognize this, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world, the way of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in the, at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body. And this idea that we, we recognize that our dar- the darkness that is in our world is this complex interlocking darkness. It's a darkness that's not only of a fallen world that we all live in, but it's also this darkness of the prince of the power of the air, that there are, there are dark beings, there are dark spirits that are out there. 
There's the sons of disobedience and the dark spirits that work within them, and then there's our own dark desires, the passions of our flesh, the desires of our body and our mind, and they find their way into our lives. And the result of this is deadness. Man, a world in which God has spoken light and life, that there's a deadness. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. One commentator says this about Ephesians, but also we could say this about, about John, that the picture the text paints is bleak. Because of sins, humans are the living dead. They live in keeping with the world order that ignores God and in keeping with a tyrant who works to cause disobedience. And in their enslavement, they follow the desires and distorted reasonings that leave God out of the picture. And in our passage today, in Luke 1, 7, 1 verse 79, it says, that this child is to give light to those who sit in darkness, who sit in the shadow of death. And this phrase, sitting in darkness, sitting in the shadow of death, comes from Psalm 107, but it also reminds us of Psalm 23, another series that we did this year. Do you guys remember? That in, in Psalm 23, it talks about that you lead me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, but even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and there's this place, there's this place even in a life of faith that in, in a life of faith, even by being guided by God, God might lead us in, a, in a, a path of righteousness that leads into this valley of deep darkness. And we noted this, the valley of the shadow of death is actually a little bit of a bad translation that the Hebrew word salmavet is less about death and more about darkness. It's the valley of deep darkness. It's the valley of impenetrable gloom. It's pitch black. The image is one of a valley with dark fog. This morning we got up and we drove here and it was, it was foggy. It was really foggy. And when the fog broke, Emma and I were on our way here. It's like, oh my goodness, how awesome is that? But it was dark. And sometimes we find in our lives ourselves a season of disorientation spiritually. Wanting to make progress on the journey but only finding ourselves in darkness and fog and not knowing which way to go. And this is where our passage comes in today. Because God is not content with darkness. God is not content with impenetrable fog. God is not content with a usurper who would cause disobedience and chaos. He's not content with tohu and vohu, with formless and void. He's not content with that. And that God would see at the right time that it's time to shine light. I have always resonated with the bluntness of John 1.5, which says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's something beautifully blunt about that, isn't there? The, the light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. The, dar the darkness will not overpower the light. The light will shine. But I also this week with this passage in Luke, was struck by just the gentleness and elegance of the prophecy of Zechariah as he sings over his child, John the Baptist. Just hear this. In 178, 
It says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And what we need to recognize is that in this fallen world, in this darkness that, that we have contributed to, we need to recognize we need a light to shine. Like we need somehow a light to shine on us, that we would live in darkness. We've, we have these instinct, instincts in darkness, like sometimes the instinct in darkness is to find a light and turn it on, but when we're afraid, our instinct in darkness is just to curl up into a ball and close our eyes. And we have to ask ourselves, which one do we want? Do I, just want to cur- do I just want to ignore the darkness and pretend it doesn't exist and close my eyes, or do I want God to shine a light? We have these instincts. And whether it is the overwhelming, overcoming light, when it, when it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it, I have this image of like this huge spotlight that God will shine and it will not stop. But what also is true is that that's not always, that's really not the way that God has designed light to shine, that God has designed light to shine in the form of the sun coming up, sunrise. Kelly and I have been walking in the morning, we we walk in the morning and usually um, it's before the sun rises and so we have a chance to, to, to get up and actually see the sunrise and there's actually little scientific, no extra charge for this, but there's actually, um, the light spectrum from the sunrise is actually good for your brain, is what they say. It helps to, to um, solidify your circadian rhythms, and that if you actually wake up and see that spectrum of light, it actually is good for your well-being, to actually visually see the spectrum of sunrise-type light. I know! I'm just, it's like, I'm just making this stuff up to make you guys get up early, right? Okay, but the idea is this, that that God has designed this, that sometimes the sun, sometimes the, sun, the sunrise is a beautiful thing because it kind of, it's, it's gradual, but when it breaks, you have that, er, that first break of sunlight. And it's so interesting because the birth of Jesus is not as a 30-year-old male, here I am, like he doesn't come out of the womb and is like, shalom everybody, right? He, he's a baby. It's like a sunrise. It's light, but it's, it's not an overpowering light, but it's a light that is going to grow and then is going to shine on all. We need a sunrise. We need a dawn, a dawning of light to guide our feet, <laughs> to give us warmth when we need it. We, in Southern California, we don't think of the sunrise as warmth often, do we? Because we're like, hey, it's nice. It's a nice day. I'm wearing shorts later on, right? Okay? But some, we need the sun to rise to give us the warmth we need, to guide our feet, to let us know there is a God who has tender mercy. If you look at Luke 179, one seventy-seven. sorry, uh, in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God. The, the, the translation there, it's a good translation, but it's the compassionate mercy of God, the compassionate mercy of God, that God would have compassion and mercy as he sends light into the world to those, to those who are in the valley of deep darkness. 
the valley of deep darkness. Now, I don't know, there, there might have been time in your life where you have felt that you've been in the valley of deep darkness. Could be a time of loss. Could be a time of you don't know where your income's coming from. Could be a time when you've had relational strife with someone you love or someone you don't love. But it brings up, it brings up the dark thoughts the dark thoughts of revenge, of anger, of disgust, all the things that, that bubble up inside us when the lights go out. The dark thoughts. But God will give a light to those who sit in darkness. The valley of deep darkness. And it's not just those who don't know God that need God to shine a light. And that's true. In our world, those who do not believe in Jesus or do not believe in God, we ask that God would enlighten the eyes of their hearts. But it's not simply them. Those who are the people of God, those who know Jesus, sometimes walk in darkness. Again, whether it's our own sin, someone else's sin, that we have to deal with being in a place of darkness. You might be walking in the light, but surrounded by darkness. And what we need to note is that as we come into Christmas and the Advent season, that this is a season where we recognize the arrival of light. Let's just hear a couple of verses from John. John 1, 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And that light shines penetrates the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it in john 1 9 jesus is called the true light and i i always wondered about this idea of the true light but when you go back into genesis chapter 1 and you realize that there's a light that precedes the sun and the moon and the stars how does that where is that light coming from it's coming from the true light there's a light that transcends all of our light bulbs and all of, the, the, all of our Christmas tree lights. All of our computer screens and phones and all, the, all those things, those artificial lights. There's a true light. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. but we'll have the light of life. We'll have a chance to read the story of Jesus healing the man born blind, but when he heals the man born blind and he spits in the mud, he spits in the ground and he makes mud, he puts it on his eyes, he's saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I think during this time, there is, I was, I'm, I've been debating about, I was trying to think of a time about recently about how light, this idea of light and darkness, and um, I was taking my daughter Emma to school, and um, we had talked, you know, we were sitting around, and sometimes things that are not normal um, make it into our conversation, and um, she goes to a public school, and there's, um, you know, there's all kinds of thoughts and ideas about people and personalities and sexual orientations and gender identity and things like that. 
and um, one of the students there is um, identifies as a um, what they call a furry and um, there's it's a little bit of um, in this case not all furries are like this but it, it's an identity and um, and uh, we were talking about it at the dinner table and whatnot and I was taking Emma to school and um, and she said oh here comes that that boy I was talking about he's a furry and uh, uh, animal ears a tail and he is dressed in a um, like a schoolgirl outfit, and um, you know I I suppose one of the things that we as we think about this just think about your reaction to me telling that story, like what it brings up to you. And I think as as we think about all all maybe what you understand that this is not the way I grew up. This is not I don't understand that or even the idea that, like that's shocking or that's surprising, or maybe even there's a sense of uh, of of um, uh, of just uh, disapproval, like a disgust, maybe that comes up in your in just emotionally about that. Maybe there's an anger, like what? Where is this coming from, or something like that? And um, and he, the the boy comes by on a scooter and drives by, and I remember turning to Emma and just saying, <sighs> I just said, um, you know. There's an overwhelming value to each person. It's an overwhelming. It's one of our values here at the church. Anybody could walk through those doors. Anybody. Anybody could walk through those doors. And what we want our response to be, what we want our response to be, is the same response of God who out of compassionate, tender mercy sends a sunrise. Not a spotlight, a sunrise. To give light to those who dwell in darkness. That we would find a place of compassion, that we would find a place of engagement, that we would find a place of sunrise, the gentleness of a sunrise. And I don't know what kind of darkness you're living in or you're encountering, and I don't know what your response is to the darkness. There can be lots of those emotional responses, but God's response to the darkness is compassionate, tender mercy. That's his initial response. Now, at the end of all time, after God has poured out his compassion and his tender mercy and his patience, there will be judgment. We're not saying there isn't judgment. God has judgment. I'm not even saying that that kid, I'm not saying God's doing that to that kid. I want to have compassion and mercy, right? But at the end of all things, we read in our Bible that at the end of all things, that there will be judgment. But until that time, God's compassionate, tender mercy is going to win the day. He sends his son to plead with us, to shine light on us. Even, on, even as we're going to do this, even as we're going to do the Lord's Supper, that whenever the Lord's Supper is taught, the Apostle Paul says, on the very night that Jesus was betrayed, he thought that was the right night to renew the covenant. To renew the covenant in light of knowing our unfaithfulness. And as we go into this holiday season, and I think if Kelly were to ask me, does the tree need more lights, I'd say yes. We always need more lights. Don't take that literally. <laughs> we always need more lights. We always need more lights. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up.
and we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper together. And I just think this, as we enter into this season of Advent, and as you come into this room and you think about, you think about the world, the dark world that you might be living in, that you may, might be participating in, and maybe it is that. Maybe you are in the midst of participating in deeds of darkness, and you just need a light, God's gentle but convicting light to shine and to say, this is just a time of repentance. I just want to have a time of repentance. Maybe that's the deal. Or maybe as you're participating in this time, that you might be thinking, look, I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with something that is dark whether it's my own thoughts, whether it's a, a rivalry, whether it's a relationship. And maybe this is just a chance for you to invite the light of Jesus to shine into that situation. Maybe you don't know the f- way forward. Like this happens all the time, and this is something that we as believers would do all the time. We would always seek God for guidance when we don't know the way forward. And if we're honest, I don't know the path forward in this case, and so I'm just going to end this time, I'm going to just take some time and just ask for Jesus to shine light. So we're going to sing a song, Kirsten and the team are going to lead us in a song, and as we sing it, this is what I would just encourage you to do. You can come forward and grab the elements, there's, um, uh, there's two cups, there's bread on the bottom and juice on the top, just take them and take it back to your seat, and we'll do it all together. But we just want this to be a time of reflection, of just asking, like, maybe you just don't even know what to ask for light on, but just to say, Jesus, would you shine a light on me? Would you just give me light? You're the light of the world. Why would we not expect that Jesus would answer that prayer? He's the light of the world. So let's just, as an act of worship, enter into a time of just asking Jesus to shine a light. So let's pray. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful to you. We're grateful for Jesus. We affirm, Jesus, you are the light of the world. We also affirm that we need illumination. And maybe there's all kinds of things in here that all of our people are just needing you to shine a light on. I don't know what they all are, but you do. And so we're just asking that you would shine your light, your gentle light on each person here. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you're ready, you can come forward to take the elements back to your seat.